All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome, we're so glad that you're here today. It's great to see all of you. Um, great to get to worship God with you today, and we're just gonna keep that going by opening his word and studying that together. First of all, I wanna say thank you to everybody that helped out at Trunk or Treat yesterday. That was a lot of fun. Anybody here uh, come and be a part of that? That was awesome. Raise your hand if you were part of that, thank you. I know a lot of small groups came out and did that together, had a great time, dressed up as some crazy characters, and we got to introduce people to the church and let them know what we have to offer for them, so that was great. Hundreds of people came out and were a part of that. We gave out a lot of candy. We had too many people come, so we had to go get a lot more candy halfway through, but that's a good problem to have. We're, we're fine with that, and it, it was a blast. It was really, really fun, and uh, glad you could be a part of it. Tonight, actually, I think is the Senior High Hoedown, so we've got lots of good stuff happening this weekend, all kinds of things going on today, so just, just exciting. Lots of great stuff that God is doing and need to be a part of it here, and we're going to continue right now with our study in Acts. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open to the book of Acts. We're actually going to skip over a passage this week week. We're going to be in Acts chapter 5, verse 12, and we'll cover the verses that we skipped next week. So we're just kind of flipping the order a little bit, and we're going to talk about uh, an issue today that can be a little controversial among Christians. It can be something that we have different opinions on, and that's okay. And it's something that, you know, when you read this passage, when we get to it in a few minutes here, I could understand for some people it being a little bit confusing, a little bit maybe frustrating, um, wondering uh, why we don't experience this in the same way in our own lives. And let me tell you a couple of personal stories to kind of help set this up. So when I was a teenager, I played on a basketball team, and at one point toward the end of the season, right before we went to the state championships, in, in the middle of a game, I tore my ACL really, really badly. And uh, so I had to go have two surgeries after that over the next month and then rehabbed really hard and uh, rehabbed so hard I got back on the team and played the next year. And at the end of that season, I messed up my knee again. So I had to have another surgery. And then fast forward a couple of years, I was playing soccer and uh, I messed up my knee again. I had to go have another surgery. And then a year later, I was playing basketball again. I messed up my knee. I had another surgery. If you're keeping track, that's four so far, just on the one knee there. And then a couple years later, I was in Costa Rica. I was playing ultimate Frisbee on a really bad, out-of-shape soccer field. And I, I jumped in the, to, to catch the Frisbee. I landed in a hole, and I snapped my ACL in my other leg. So now I had the matching set, which was nice. And I actually went to the surgeon the next day there in Costa Rica, and we were supposed to do this big canopy zipline tour thing, and I didn't want to miss out on it. So I was like, can I do it? He goes, well, if you clench really hard, you'll be okay. So that's what I did. I just, you know, clenched those muscles and made it through the whole zipline course and climbing the trees and all of that, got back, had a surgery. So now I'm up to five. And then a couple years later, I was uh, trying to do something with my dog. I'm down on my knees on the floor, and I went to stand up, and I couldn't stand up because this knee had just locked in place like that. Another surgery. So now we're up to six between the two knees, and I have so much arthritis in this one. It is so bad, and, and it hurts all the time that the surgeon told me, I'm sorry, there's nothing more we can do for you. Um, you know, it's not one of those where you get so many punch cards and the next one's free. It's actually like the next one's a knee replacement and you're going to need a total knee replacement within the next 10 years. That was about 10 years ago. And I feel it. I feel it every single day. I mean, it's, it's, it's not fun. Uh, a few months ago, I was playing with my kids over the summer. We were on one of those big outdoor bouncy things and I felt my knee tweak a little bit and it hasn't been the same since. So now it's kind of like worse than it's ever been. And every day I get these sharp shooting pains. It's hard to go up and down steps. 
I've uh, been redoing our basement and doing, doing all the flooring, and I can only get down on this knee. I can't get down on that knee, so I'm just balancing the whole time, trying to, you know, do the stuff that I need to do. It's not fun, and I know a lot of people have it worse than me. I'm not trying to get sympathy points here. Here's my point. Over the course of the last, you know, 15, 20 years or whatever, I have, yeah, I guess it would be 20 years. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, I have prayed for healing thousands of times. I have prayed, God, would you just take this away? I can't play with my kids the way I want to. I can't play basketball anymore. I can't play tennis. I can jump on the trampoline a little bit, but not very much. And if I do, I'm going to pay for it the rest of the day, you know, and it's a pain. It's inconvenient. It's frustrating. It limits the things that I can do. And so I've just prayed, God, would you take this thing away from me? And he hasn't yet. Maybe he will this week. Maybe he was waiting for me to deliver this message. Maybe not. We'll see. But I prayed so many times. You know, there's other things we prayed for. When we lost our twins, I, I've shared this, the whole story here within the last year, so I won't go into all the details, but we had twins. And before they were born, they passed away. And we prayed and prayed and prayed for them and prayed. We knew it was a challenging, complicated, unique kind of pregnancy, a unique, rare type of twins. And so we prayed for them, and they still, they still died. Uh, a couple of years ago, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. And it was a super rare form of cancer. Only like a handful of people get this in the U.S. every year. There's only a few people that can even work on it. And we started to prepare ourselves like this might be his last year. And we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And praise God, a couple of operations. And it seems like they got it all. It was right next to his brain, but it hadn't crossed over yet. And it could have been, um, you know, could, could have been life-threatening and go downhill real quick. But praise God, it, it wasn't. I will bet that there are situations like that that all of you can think of. How many of you at some point have prayed really long and hard for the healing of yourself or somebody else? Just raise your hand if that's you. That's a lot of us. Real quick, just take 30 seconds. Tell somebody next to you, what have you prayed for for healing? Real quick. I mean, there's a lot of different things that we could point to either for ourselves or for our kids or our parents, our grandparents, our loved ones, our friends, people at church, people here that we're praying for right now, that we're praying for healing. Now there's people watching online right now who are praying for healing for different people. And this can be a challenging topic for us to work through. The passage we're going to talk about today deals with a lot of healing taking place. And you could read that and, and rightly wonder, why isn't that happening for me? Why isn't God doing that in my life? I'm praying. I'm sincere. I've got loads of faith. Why isn't it happening? And that can lead to a lot of doubts and questioning for us. So today we're going to talk about the issue of healing. But before we do that, let me just give you a little bit of a review of the passage that we've been going through in the book of Acts. So far, we've seen that, that Jesus Christ, after he died, he rose again. He's left and he sent the Holy Spirit. So now the Holy Spirit is God with us. Jesus was God with us in the flesh. The Spirit is now God with us moving forward. And he's with all of us. In fact, Jesus said, it's better if I leave and send the Spirit, because he can be with all of you. And so the Holy Spirit has shown up and, and is in believers and is demonstrating power in believers. And at one point, Peter and John are walking through the temple, and they see a man who has not been able to walk for over 40 years. He's been there begging at the temple day after day. Everybody's seen it. Everybody knows this guy has never been able to walk. And Peter initiates the healing of this man. 
And what happens after that is a crowd gathers around, seeing this guy jumping up and down. They know that this is an actual, genuine, bona fide miracle because they know this guy has been uh, without the ability to walk for, for his entire life. They've seen him every day for decades. So there's no doubt this is genuine. And as a result of that, Peter sees this as an opportunity to share the gospel about Jesus. And he does. And loads of people believe in Jesus because of the healing of that man demonstrating that there's power in this message that they're bringing. And then after that, the believers have a little gathering and they're amazed and they pray and ask God for two things. The first thing is, God, would you give us boldness to share about Jesus, even though we're experiencing threats from the religious leaders at the time, the Jewish leaders in the temple? And the second prayer request was, we want to see more of those miracles. We want you to show up and do more of that because that obviously leads to this. If more people see these healings taking place, they're going to know, okay, there's something to this. And maybe there's something better than what the Jewish religious leaders have to offer. Maybe God's actually not in that anymore. And he's in this. And we want to encourage people to believe in Jesus. And this is what seems to be working right now. So God, we want to see more of that and give us boldness to share about Jesus. And then we get to Acts chapter 5, and there's a section in there that that we're going to cover next week, but we're going to be in Acts chapter 5, verse 12. So we're going to skip over, and we'll we'll come back to that next week. But here's what Acts Acts 5, 12 says um, after they had prayed for more of this miraculous stuff. The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. Now, I just want to pause for a minute there to acknowledge how important meeting together regularly was for the early church. You see it all throughout Acts. You see it throughout the rest of the New Testament. This idea that we are a family, that we like being together. We like spending time together. We like helping each other. There's an interdependency that you see. There's a lot of one another's in scripture, and those one another's happen in community. Now, in our Western mindset today, we tend to have an individualistic mindset. And the pandemic made that even worse because now there's all this isolation that happens and we're separated from each other. And that interdependency that God designed in the church, the one another's doesn't happen as well when we're not together. And I think we're still struggling with that. I think there's still um, some long term effects of that that have happened that we don't quite have the, the community and the closeness that we ought to have. Part of it's our culture and our society, and part of it's a ripple effect of what we all just went through together. But it's very interesting to me to look at that early church and see, man, they were together a lot. And they liked coming together and being part of a family together. And you have to keep in mind, too, that these people didn't all come from the same background. Even among the Jewish people, which is what the church consisted of at this point, they came from different regions around the world. There had been exiles before, so there were very different flavors of Judaism at work here, different political views. There were Jews that were actually working with the Romans. There were Jews that were really against the Romans. And so they came from different political backgrounds. They had different beliefs about lots of theological issues. There were different sects of Judaism at the time. We've talked a little bit about that here before. And so these are people that had very different views on a lot of things. And yet at this point, what they agree on is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they come together and they meet together regularly. In fact, they're actually meeting at the temple, the place where the people have threatened them not to talk about Jesus anymore. And there they are meeting at the temple in a place called Solomon's Colonnade, which was sort of a a, a huge porch area, basically a huge courtyard in the temple complex. Now, verse 13 tells us, 
No one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. Now, I think the reason why no one dared to join them, there could be two reasons, and maybe both of these are a factor. One is they were just threatened by the temple leadership. The other is, and this is the story that we'll talk about next week, Um, there's a little incident that happens where two people, Ananias and Sapphira, get into some trouble, do something they shouldn't do, and have judgment brought upon them. And so it's possible that some people don't dare join them because of that judgment that just occurred, and so they don't want to join with any kind of false pretenses because they know that there's power here and there's actually justice and judgment here. But it also could be that they don't want to join because of the temple leadership and the threats that they have given. But even with that, Verse 14 says, more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. And I think what's interesting, just as a sidebar for us to note here is they were not afraid to live out their faith in public. So here they are meeting in Solomon's colonnade at the temple compound where they were told not to talk about Jesus anymore. And that's where they're having their gatherings. It was probably the best place to gather in Jerusalem. There's not a lot of good places for hundreds of people to get together other than that temple courtyard. But as they're gathering there, people are seeing this and they're noticing there's something different about them. They're really living out their faith in public. And what I want to encourage us with today is, are we doing that? Are we living out our faith in public in a way that people can see, hey, there's something different about us. There's a different way that we live. There's a hope that we have, a joy that we have. There's something different. And I want to know more about that. And I think if we do that, we will see more and more people come to faith in Jesus. And then also, are our gatherings here a place where people would, would walk in and feel welcome and feel like they're not an outsider, but feel like they're instantly just invited to be a part of what's going on here and feel like, hey, we're glad you're here. I mean, we want, if you're new here today, we want you to feel welcome. Like, hey, this is a place you can be part of the family here and find community and connection as we all have faith in Jesus Christ together. So those are just some side thoughts that I have. Now I want to get to the main point, which is in verse 15. And in verse 15, Luke says, as a result of the apostles' work, make note of that phrase, we'll mention that later, as a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. Now, that's the extent of our passage for this morning. So before we go any further... I'm going to ask us all to just take a moment and pause and ask God for wisdom because we're going to get into some interesting stuff here today. Would you pray with me? Father, as we talk about your word and we talk about healing, what can sometimes be a controversial topic, I pray that you would give us wisdom and insight through your Holy Spirit, God. Help us to understand what you want us to know. Help us to live it out this week. Help us to have such strong faith and trust in you that we will have the humility to trust your will even when it's not what we think is best, God. Whether that has to do with our healing or someone else's healing, Lord, we just pray that that your will would be done and that you would help us to accept it and trust in you through all of it. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The main question that I wanna ask today is does God still heal today? Is God still in the business of healing or is that something that has ended? And if so, how does it work? You know, there's this thing called the gift of healing. Is that still in operation today? Are there other people? You see people on TV that are faith healers, you know, and they kind of, they can just bop people on the head and their injuries go away, right? So how does that work? Does that work? Is that a real thing? 
I want to spend some time talking about that today, but before I do, I want to acknowledge one of our distinctive values here. We have six distinctive values that, that are important to us, and they kind of help separate like who we are as a church and things that matter to us. And one of those is called heaven is big. Heaven is big. And the reason we say that is because we believe that there will be many people who are part of God's family and part of God's kingdom and will be in heaven together who don't all agree about everything on earth. And that's okay. We have different views, different perspectives. The apostles did. And there are certain areas where we need to be aligned and certain areas where we say, there's room for disagreement here and different opinions. And we'll let God sort it out in the end. And that's not only our view, that's the view of the association we're a part of, the Evangelical Free Church of America. This is our perspective. Sometimes we call it an undivided mindset. We refer to the buckets of belief. If you go through our membership class here, you'll watch a series called Undivided, and it explains four buckets of belief, dogma, doctrine, conviction, and preference. And so I want to acknowledge here right off the bat that areas of belief around healing, in, in, in our view, would fall under the conviction bucket. In other words, we don't have a church doctrinal statement about healing here. And, that, and that's okay. We're not changing that. We probably have different perspectives in this room. And a lot of people who, are, who would just say, I'm not sure. But some people who would have a different view on healing than other people in this room. And that's okay. There may be some things that I say here today that at the end you will say, I don't agree with that. I actually think something else. And that's okay. Uh, but what I do want to have is the conversation because it's in God's word. And I want to bring up some points to you that, that I would like you to consider and think about, but understand that that's coming from a perspective of my own personal study and learning on this and my own personal view. And, and even if we have different views on this in this church, that's okay. And I'll try to cover that as we go through it. Heaven is big and, and there's room for different views on perspectives of healing. And the Bible isn't 100% clear on it. I'm going to draw some conclusions today through deduction, and you'll see that as we go. I've got six different points to make for you, and maybe you'll learn something from it. Maybe you'll disagree with some of it. That's all fine. We don't believe that different perspectives on healing go in the dogma bucket. In other words, it doesn't determine whether or not you're a genuine follower of Jesus, a true Christian, going to end up in heaven one day and have a relationship with him. And we don't put it in the doctrine bucket. It's not part of our church doctrine. It's not part of our statement of faith. If you go look at the book that explains our theology, which is called Evangelical Convictions, you will find, I think, two instances of the word healing mentioned in the entire book. And it's a deep book, right, Jeff? That is a deep. Jeff just taught it a couple weeks ago. There's a lot of stuff in there, not a lot on healing. So I want to put that in its right perspective before we dive into the rest of these. Let me walk through six points with you. The first point is that the gift of healing was not given to every believer and probably not most believers. So here's the thing about gifts of healing in the New Testament. As far as we are told, there are only a few people that were actually given the gift. And it all had to do with their bringing the gospel to a new group of people. Jesus gave the gift of healing to the 72 disciples that went out. They had the ability to heal. It validated their message. The apostle Paul had the ability to heal. Other apostles had the ability to initiate healing. When I say the ability to heal, what I really mean is to initiate a healing. It was God that did the healing, and the apostles made that clear. Philip had the ability. Simon had the ability. Barnabas had the ability, and that's where it stops. We don't have any other examples of other people having a special, special spiritual gift 
of being able to initiate a healing. Maybe they did, and it just wasn't written about, but these are the only examples that we have. I couldn't find any others. In our passage today, twice, Luke makes it clear it was the apostles that did the healing initiation. It's not like the believers prayed for more of this, and then all of them got the ability. Luke says it was as a result of the apostles' work. The apostles initiated the healing. Now, that's not a slam dunk case for anything, but I think it's worth noting that it doesn't appear to be this widespread thing like all the believers now could heal anybody's infirmity. And it's not like the Christians never got sick again. I mean, if that happened, this movement would grow radically, right? All of your issues healed when you become a Christian because everybody gets this gift of healing. So it does not seem that that was the case at all. Number two, the gift of healing was not under the control of the facilitator to use at will. It was not under the control of the facilitator. Even those people that I listed off that had the gift of healing didn't have the ability to just go do it whenever they wanted to. And here's how I know that. The apostle Paul healed people at times, initiated healing with people. But the apostle Paul said he had a physical issue, a thorn in the flesh that he begged God three times to take away. And what did God say? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. God said that to him three times. And then finally, Paul said, okay, I guess I'm not going to be healed. I will just learn to deal with it. Isn't that interesting? This man who could initiate healing for people in certain instances was not able to heal himself. Look at Timothy. Paul finds out that Timothy is having these stomach issues. And so Paul's response to him is not go find a faith healer. It's Take a little wine for your stomach, Timothy, so you don't get sick so often. You need to have a little alcohol. It's actually going to help you, you know, just a little bit. That was their medicine that they had back then. Paul didn't wave his hand, and suddenly Timothy was healed. And so it does not seem that this was under the control of the facilitator to use at their will. Number three, this is so important. The apostles did not use the gift of healing to make a name for themselves. They didn't want to end up on TV or on billboards or have their face on books. Not that those things necessarily existed back then, but you get the point. The idea was not that they used this to promote themselves and build a huge following for themselves. That was the opposite of what they wanted. In Acts 14, we'll get there later next year. In Acts 14, they're in a city called Lystra, and Paul and Barnabas are there, and, and they encounter someone who Paul initiates a healing for. He's a man with crippled feet, and he gets up and he walks around, and the people are so amazed that they start to worship Paul and Barnabas. In fact, here's what they do. In Acts 14, verse 13, it says, Now the temple of Zeus was located just outside the town, so the priests of the temple and the crowd brought bulls and wreaths of flowers to the town gates, and they prepared to offer sacrifices to the apostles. But when apostles Barnabas and Paul heard what was happening, they tore their clothing in dismay and ran out among the people shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings just like you. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. Notice how disturbed Paul and Barnabas are when they see the people are taking the healing that just occurred and attributing credit, glory, and honor to them. 
This was not about making a name for themselves. This was not about getting some kind of big book deal. This was not about them being prominent in the community. That's the last thing they wanted. In fact, they were willing to to ruin perfectly good outfits. They tore their clothes to demonstrate how sincere they were. This wasn't a no, 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 come on. This was a don't even think about it. This is not about us. In fact, what did they say it was about? Why are we here? To make sure everybody gets healed? No, we're here to bring the good news. The healing was there to demonstrate the validity of the message of the good news and to, so that people could recognize there's power in this. You haven't experienced a sign like that with the temple of Zeus. You haven't experienced that with other spiritual gurus that come through. But this, this new message of Christianity that you've never heard of before, this is legit and here is some evidence for it, but it's not about the healing and it's not about us. It's about the good news of Jesus Christ. Turn from your sinful ways and turn to God. That's the whole point of the message. It was not about making a name for themselves. Number four, miraculous healings seem less frequent today than they did in the Bible times, don't they? But here's the thing. That was the case in the early church as well. We don't always think about this, but if you look at the trajectory of miraculous signs and healings and how they're talked about in the New Testament, you see that they actually already seemed to decrease in frequency and use within the early church. I'll give you three examples of this. First of all, in in Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And you'll see in a minute that kind of power that he's talking about of the Holy Spirit has to do with signs, wonders, miracles of healing that happen. That's the power of the Holy Spirit assuring that the message is true. And you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. Now, it's interesting here that there's this display of power from the Holy Spirit that gives them assurance that the message is true. And that we know from other parts of Scripture is talking about miracles of healing, signs, wonders, and so on. But, but he doesn't say that's still happening among you. He says, when we brought you the new good news for the first time, this is what happened. You saw this. It validated the message. But he doesn't say, hey, look at all the healings happening around you right now. There's your evidence. There's your proof. Keep on believing. He actually points to something that happened in the past. Very interesting. Here's a more clear example. Romans chapter 15. Paul says, yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and the way I worked among them. How did he work among them? They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit. That's the spirit working, coming in power to assure that this message is true, to validate the message through wonders and signs. That includes the miraculous healings that are happening to validate the message. He says, in this way, I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. Man, that's confusing to stay. I struggled that in the first service too. I, I've been able to preach the good news all over the place because I brought it with these miraculous signs and wonders of the Holy Spirit. And they were convinced by that. They believe that it's true. There's this connection between the miraculous healings and the bringing of the gospel to the Gentiles for the first time. But it's all past tense. Paul is not saying, notice this is happening around you today. He's saying, this is how it was brought initially. The best example I shared earlier in this series, and I think in the very first message, and it comes from Hebrews chapter two, the author of Hebrews says, 
So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. That includes the, the healings, the signs, the wonders, the miracles, the miracles. Those are, those are healings that take place. But it's interesting what the author says here. In the, in the previous few verses, he's encouraging them to hold fast to the truth that they heard. Don't stray away. Don't drift. Don't wander from the truth that you heard. The truth that he says when it came to you was, was delivered to us by those who heard Jesus speak. And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various gifts of the spirit. It's interesting how he talks about this. He doesn't say don't drift away because look at the healings happening around you. See, he says, remember when it first came to you. That's how it came. It's very interesting to me that that's the way the gifts of healing are talked about and all the miraculous healings are talked about in scripture in the new Testament. They, they always seem to be tied with a message about Jesus in particular after Jesus goes away and it's the apostles doing the work. It always has to do with bringing the gospel to people and the message being validated by those healings. In other words, it wasn't just healing for the fun of it. It wasn't just healing. So this person wouldn't be inconvenienced anymore. It wasn't just healing. So they didn't have to deal with whatever that issue was that God up to that point had allowed to happen in their life. It was healing because the message of the gospel needed to be validated and assured that it was true. That's, that's the example that we see in the word of God for the healings. And yet Christians that really get into the supposed healings and gifts of healings today, they often treat it like it's something they can control. Like there's a faithometer, and maybe you've been there before where you're like 99% on the faithometer, and you just can't get to that hundred percent, I guess, because it didn't happen. And what does that do? Sometimes it allows us to walk around with all this guilt because we feel like if I had just prayed more, if I had just prayed harder, if I had just had more faith, then that healing would have happened. And it's on me. It's even worse when you're praying for a loved one, when you're praying for a child, and it doesn't happen. And you go, was that because of me? Was that because I didn't have enough faith? That's not how we see healing work in the New Testament. It's not based exclusively on a faithometer. Faith is involved. Don't get me wrong. At one point, Peter sees a man as he's delivering the gospel to a crowd for the first time. And the Bible says he looked out and he saw that this man had faith to be healed. But at the story we just talked about a few weeks ago, Peter said, make no mistake. It wasn't us that did the healing. It was faith in the name of Jesus is why this man was healed. And so later Peter goes, this, this other man, he has faith to be healed. Faith is involved. But it's not like there's a faith meter and if you don't have enough faith, that's the reason that God chose not to heal. And if you walk around with that kind of guilt in your life, understand that that guilt does not come from God. It comes from a different place. God is not standing up there going, well, I would have loved to do it, but you were just that much short on your faith. So no, it's not, that's not how a loving God works. That's not how we see healing working in the New Testament. We see healing as a validation of the message of the gospel. Number five, the Bible contains many, many examples of God healing people, but never tells us that he stopped. We don't see anywhere in scripture where it says, okay, God's not going to heal anymore. Even though, yes, we do seem to see that decreasing 
towards the, as the, as the church gets developed, it does seem like it's this, this gift that is given to help kickstart the church and validate the message. Those are the examples that we see over and over again in scripture. There's nowhere in the Bible that says, and now God will no longer intervene in your physical health. That's not there. So I, I don't think we can say from scripture that God has definitely stopped that activity. And that brings me to our last point, which is point number six. And that is this, the epistles, that's the letters to the new Testament churches, the letters to believers that teach us that explain Jesus' teachings and go further and help us to understand them. The epistles teach believers to seek healing through prayer and medicine, but never mention seeking someone with a gift of healing. And that, to me, is the most interesting point. When Paul is writing to Timothy in his first letter, the fifth chapter, he knows that Timothy has this issue with sickness. And it's fascinating to me that Paul's response to Timothy is not, Timothy, go talk to Susan. She's got the gift of healing. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say, go find one of the faith healers in your community, Timothy, and they'll take care of this stomach thing for you. Why doesn't Paul say that? If that's how it's supposed to work. If it's there for our inconvenience, if it's there to mitigate our pain, if it's there to make us feel better, if that's the reason for healing, then why doesn't Paul say, just go to the local faith healer? He doesn't say that. He says, take some medicine. Use the natural things that God has put on this earth to aid in your healing. That's the instruction that Paul gives. James, the brother of Jesus, when he's writing in his fifth chapter, he says, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Again, here's James, the brother of Jesus. He does not, he witnessed healings. He saw these miracles take place. And his response to people is not, are any of you sick? Go find the faith healer. He says, go pray and have people pray for you. Pray for your healing. What does that mean? What that means to me is that the gift of healing evidently was not widely used past the beginning of the early church. Does that mean God can't still give someone the spiritual gift to heal today? No, he certainly can. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. If we follow the pattern of how it was used in the New Testament, I think that would indicate to us that if it is used today, it's probably used in a context of bringing the gospel to people who've never heard it before. Not at a mega church in North America is my guess in a way that brings lots of attention to the person who supposedly has the gift and makes them lots of money. That's not the example that we see in scripture. So it brings us back to the question we started with today. Does God still heal today? My answer to that is, I believe personally, absolutely he does. Absolutely, I believe God heals today. There's no scripture that says he stopped. You know, one of the names for God in the Old Testament is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. That's part of his identity. It's a thing he does. It's, it's part of who he is. He's a healer. And he heals spiritually. He heals relationally. He heals politically at times. And he also heals physically. And I don't think there's any reason to believe that God has said, I will no longer intervene in these cases. But you know something else that James said? James said, in his letter to the believers, you have not because you ask not. What I believe that tells us is that there are good things God is willing to do, but he's waiting for us to ask. This is the same James that said, if you're sick, have the elders come and pray for you. And I think what we can draw from this as a conclusion 
is that there are times where God is willing to intervene and bring healing in our life. And there may be times where he doesn't do that because we have not stopped to invite him into that process. And we try to go it on our own and we're not praying for it. And we're not asking other people to pray for us. And there are times where God would say, yes, I am willing to heal you, but not if you're just going to do your own thing. Not if you're just going to arrogantly go about your own way. Not if you're not going to invite me into your life. Not if you're not going to have a relationship with me. Why would I reinforce that kind of bad behavior? I want to reinforce good behavior. I want to reinforce a good relationship. So you have not because you ask not. And I believe there are times where God is willing to introduce healing in our lives. And he chooses not to because he's waiting for us to ask. It's not that he ever changes his mind. He was always willing to do it. But there is a condition there where he wants a relationship with us. But then we also see with the apostle Paul where he has this issue. And three times he begs for it. And God says, nope, not in this case. And so what is our response as believers? We have to be willing to say, not my will, but yours be done. There may be times where you pray and pray and pray sincerely for healing. And it's as if God's answer to you is my grace is sufficient for you. My power works best in your weakness. So far, I feel like that's been God's answer to me. Your weakness, I'm actually working through that. Now, hopefully, Now that I've shared that with you, that's the extent of the good that can be done through that weakness. And God will be like, okay, now you're healed. I don't know. But what I want to do at the end of our service today is take some space for us to pray for healing. It's what James tells us to do. And that that could look a little bit different. If you're at home watched online right now, you, you may need to just pray in your living room or hotel room or wherever you happen to be in your car as you're listening, whatever it is. And pray for people. I heard from people this morning that were watching online and they, they used this time to pray for people. If you're in the room right now, I want to encourage you to take a few minutes and pray for people that need to be healed or pray for yourself. And it doesn't always have to be physical healing. Maybe it's some other type of healing. But maybe there's someone in this room that you know needs healing and you actually want to get up and walk over and put your hand on their shoulder and pray for them. I want to encourage you to do that. Don't feel like you're stuck in your seat. You can get up and you can gather around a group of people, gather together and pray for someone together. And what's going to happen after a few minutes, we're going to start singing a song softly. And that's your cue to wrap up. And then we're all going to sing a song together. But don't be afraid right now to pray for someone either in your seat or get up and go pray for someone and pray for their healing and ask God to intervene on their behalf. Let's all pray together.